Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It is our post-first round spectacular. First round still going on. The Green Bay Packers pick at number 28 is in. As we speak, only one quarterback has been taken, Kenny Pickett. Uh, we will have the, the full measure of the first round by the time we finish this podcast. David Ubbin joins me. And David, it's been, a, you know, not a, a... It feels like there haven't been a lot of fireworks in this draft, really, because... It was all defense at the beginning. Again, the one quarterback thing, which probably shouldn't surprise us because nobody was all that fired up about this group of quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And then you had uh, Kayvon Thibodeau going five when people thought he might slide. You had uh, Jermaine Johnson maybe going a little later. I I feel like the Ravens kicked some butt with with Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum. Like the team that's usually good taking the players that are just good. Yep. Andy, here, here's I, I got a lot of theories and a lot of takes that I'm sure we may get to uh, on this on this glorious evening, but uh, you know I, I had the Ravens written down. It, they strike me as a team. Obviously, you saw Ty, uh, Kyle Hamilton slide. Tyler Linderbaum kind of went where we thought, but yeah, the teams ahead. Yeah, but the teams that that we see you know sort of having success it, you know my hottest take is that in a lot of cases in the draft you know the players matter don't get me wrong but they seem a lot less important than in many cases the organization i think that there are a lot of alternate universes out there where really good players went to really inept organizations and their careers suffered and maybe players that weren't as great as we thought go to good organizations that allow them Mm -hmm. to flourish. But ultimately you see a team in the Ravens tonight, uh, Kyle Hamilton, uh, Tyler Linderbaum picking players who are good at football, whose workouts raise some questions. Kyle Hamilton, obviously with the speed or being, you know, a, a center at a quote unquote, less than valuable position. But ultimately drafting players who are good at football and not just good at working out, Seems like a good strategy, Andy. And I think it's, it's like the Kenny don't get me Powers. started on the I'm not trying to be the, the best system. at exercising. Yeah, don't get me started on the on the gaming the system of uh, you know spending three months after the season learning how to do shuttle drills and oh. uh, and for like the ridiculousness of that whole exercise and the emphasis put on these numbers. Again, Andy, not to be watch the tape guy, but watch the tape. Those two guys can play football. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and sometimes being watched the tape guy doesn't work because you there, there are people who play really well in college mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, like usually it's because they're not fast enough to, mm-hmm. to compete or at the NFL enough. level. And and so Hamilton had the slower 42. But the thing is, Hamilton played against elite competition at Notre Dame and looked fine. Like he was not embarrassed against elite exactly. competition. Exactly. You watch, you watch him play football Andy, was there one time 
over the last couple seasons that you watched Kyle Hamilton and you had to wince because no, you're like, oh, never. I don't know. Not even once. <laughs> exactly. Not one time. So again, Andy, people got to watch the tape sometimes. I think people yeah. overthink this so much. And I think, you know, again, I, listen, we don't have time to get into all the ridiculousness of the draft, but the amount of moving and sliding that happens from January until April, late April, when no one's playing games at all, Again, the overthinking is so classic because you have so much time. I think, I, it's quite true. honestly, I think the NFL would be in better shape if they did the draft like the first week of February. How how cool would it be? And you can't do this. And, and obviously, the NFL has done a good job making this an event, making this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and placing it a point at a point in the calendar where it becomes a huge event. But it, yeah, if they just had the draft, so the national championships game is Monday, and they did the draft on Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be like or like the you, baseball draft where they do they actually have the draft like simultaneously during super games regionals or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, maybe not that squashed, but yeah, I think there's just classic overthinking, and um, you know, there's just so many silly things about the draft between the conversation and the interviews and you know hand size discussions that may or may not be relevant, and all these things that come up. I'm just a believer in drafting good football. And Andy, here this is another thought I had tonight watching the draft and, and thinking about this. I, I think I don't know if this is a story that we should do, you know, in the wake of the draft. Maybe this is something that we save for eleven months from now. But doesn't it seem to you that there are some schools that are way more reliable than others? And for sake of an argument, Trent Richardson aside, we can start with Alabama. Yeah. But if you were a front office and you just said, you know what? We're just going to draft Bama guys. We're just going to draft Georgia guys. Wouldn't the hit rate improve if you were a front office in doing it that? Would, if you just found it would some seem schools? so. And, and I mean, the Ravens maybe were kind of like that with Bama guys. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan I, Allen. I think there's something to that. CJ Mosley. Less um, think. My, my thought here is less thinking. I think would do NFL teams a yeah. lot better in some of these some of these decisions. Yeah, Mar- Marlon Humphrey. I, at least defensively, the Ravens are kind of they kind of do that. So. Yeah, I, I'd like to see, Andy, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the number of schools that seem to be the most reliable versus the least reliable. I think the least reliable, not specifically a school, but it seems like all the offensive guys coming out of that Baylor system, we've yes. seen a long well, line of guys dating back to Jason coming Smith. Out of that system. Yeah, Jason they, Smith, they, Danny Watkins, all those guys, it did not go well for them. First rounders that, that flopped out, a lot of receivers, Corey Coleman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only one... Weirdly enough, that I think has 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 had a nice career in theory, or at least proved he could play, is Josh Gordon, and right. he spent as much time. What? Well, I forget what he's his Utah there. career looked like. Yeah. yeah, but ultimately, he's the only guy that's had some success. Now, obviously, he's had his own issues separate from the you know the actual yeah the sport the, itself. The football field has never been the problem. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's. I, I'd be curious if anyone jumps out to you besides the usual suspects as places that just seem to have an incredibly low bust rate. I, I want to do this story, Andy, mostly because I'm just Ooh, curious. I hope we're not giving away idea. the cow for free. Uh, Iowa is one that I kind of wonder about. And, and All the and tight it, ends, yeah. And, well, and it gets more complex because remember the report that, that came when Iowa did the, the internal investigation into the accusations of racism and, and other things in the program, one of the things that came out when they got rid of Chris Doyle, the strength coach, was that the, the strength staff would just kind of crap all over the guys mm-hmm. they didn't think kind of fit in. 
And that wasn't necessarily all race-based because it sounds like that happened to George Kittle. Mm-hmm. Like he well, would probably have been drafted one. higher if <laughs> they'd said nicer things about him. But yeah, it. But the thing is, look at the guys that they've put out. They seem to be fairly reliable, especially the ones that are drafted fairly early. Like Tristan Wirfs, mm-hmm. right on to a you know right onto a Super Bowl winning team as a starter, a very effective starter, Super Bowl winning team. Uh, the tight ends obviously have have panned out for the most part. Uh, but you can go back to like the, with the offensive lineman, go back to like Marshall Yonda. So Tyler Lindebaum going to the Ravens, Marshall Yonda, Iowa guy going, you know, with the yeah. Ravens, like, and, I, and I they, think, they're I all Ferentz guys, obviously, because he's the, he's been the head coach since 2000. It's a far less exact science if you're talking about guys moving up. But I do think Andy, like, so last year, right, if Zach Wilson was playing for the Patriots and Mac Jones was playing for the Jets, do we not think that the conversation on those two guys would be completely reversed? Yeah. Now, would the Patriots have picked Zach Wilson? Great question. That's a fair That's, question. But I think ultimately, in, in the NFL, when it comes to draft reliability uh, and and competency, and the Patriots aren't on a great example, especially the skill positions and, and some of those guys that they've picked. Um, the their uh, first Harry's round the hit rate's not great. No, but, but there are some teams who are. You know, we've hit. We've talked about the Ravens on here a little bit. Uh, you know. I'd have to look at much. I mean, obviously, I don't cover the NFL, but I think the the going to the Steelers, uh, the Steelers seem to have a yeah, pretty good reliable going to competent rate. Going to competent, well organized organizations just seems to be one of the more reliable indicators, and it seems like really good players can go to disastrous situations and end up having disastrous careers that I'm not <laughs> sure is quite their fault. Right, and that—that's well, to me what jumps out. And I'm like, how, oh, these how guys much, going to like the Jets and the Jags? I kind of feel sorry for. Them. Yeah, I mean, how much of the how much have you heard the phrase "ruin Trevor Lawrence"? Yeah, like, yeah. and we don't know if the Jags are going to ruin Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence might be just fine under new management. We'll see. Could be, but how much of it is? Wow, Cole Strange from Chattanooga, first round, going to the Patriots. There you go, Andy. Chattanooga's finest. There you go. <laughs> I talked to Cole Strange at the Senior Bowl. Very nice guy. Interesting. Yeah. I don't. When I did that Chattanooga story a couple years ago, I don't. I don't. Rec- I don't remember him. So he, he was. Doing I believe. I want to say he was. He was looking at service academies. Uh, was a tight end kind of sized guy, and then went to Chattanooga, moved to O line, and then the, the athleticism stayed even as he got got bigger shout out to rusty Wright and his staff great guy great staff uh chattanooga what a place what yeah a place. and and bill belichick taking him so <laughs> there you go yep, that, yep. that that would be general manager capologist offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator bill belichick taking taking cole strange some mixed draft results but he's done okay uh in the win-loss column historically so okay he um, yeah he's, he's we'll all right give him a, we'll give him a, a a benefit of the doubt there but yeah any i just I, I, it, it feels to me not to go all fatalist i feel like when we have these podcasts we get a bit too existential but it feels like the <laughs> idea that you late. control your own fate as a draftee just feels somewhat like a fool's errand. It's like if you're going to the Steelers or you're going to the Patriots, you're going to these organizations that have their stuff together 
versus somewhere where the coach is going to get fired in a year and a half and the coach hates the GM and the GM is trying to sabotage the coach and all these well, places. And, and that's what, that's what amazes like, me, David, the, the difference between 32 and 33 in terms of what that means for your life. Because mm-hmm. uh, the money isn't, isn't completely different. If you're drafting in the first round, the team has a fifth-year option. You're going to hit free agency in the fifth year if you get drafted in the second round. But assuming no trades, assuming that the team drafting at 32 was the best team the year before and the team drafting at 33 was the worst team the year before, like you could go to the best organization or the worst organization in the league. Yeah. And if the difference is one pick, like exactly. it is crazy. I, uh, so Andy, that's, that's my, uh, that's my draft downer take. Uh, yes. that, that jumped out to me is congratulations to all these guys. And I'm sorry to the guys who went to draft nihilism. I'm, I'm sorry Sometimes you wound up a Jacksonville fair. Jaguar. <laughs> yeah. I will say Andy, uh, I feel bad that, uh, Mr. Stars matter is not here Four of the top seven picks, five, star five stars prospects. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the numbers are through the first round. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, this is Mitch- this is the time of year, Andy, especially yeah. when the draft is over, that we get to hear about all the 153 stars that got drafted that always ignores the point that there's like 25 stars in every class. There's 32 <laughs> five stars, and there are roughly <laughs> 1,700 three stars. Three stars. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I look forward to some coach or draft analyst tweeting that and getting retweeted 9,000 times and Ari angrily having to... Uh, quote tweet it for the eighth year in a row. It is what it is. I've if if Ari is tweeting about that <laughs> this weekend, I'm I'm very worried because Ari is getting married true. this weekend. Now, are we going to put that past him, Andy? I'm not. I not at all. I wouldn't put it past <laughs> him to do it during the ceremony. Like, yeah. Do you do you, do you think do you think they wrote their own vows and at some point Ari will call Britt a five star <laughs> can't miss prospect? Surely, I mean, it would be a it would be a a betrayal of his own heart were he to not Andy. Would it? Would that as, not as, be the case? As as his and her family members who have no idea what that means <laughs> look on in horror. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. I think uh, I think about my own my own vows, Andy. I think uh, between my wife's family and my family, friends excluded, there might be one person who cares or keeps track of college football. So I might have had a similar result. I need I need to get a, a breakdown of the Ari and Britt family tree and who is tracking college football. Uh, I, I, I don't think there's any of them now. Now Ari's dad is a devoted podcast listener. So he's he's it all stars matter all the way. So he understands Hello, Mr. Wasserman. <laughs> but you're enjoying the show. Everybody else I, I don't know about. So <laughs> that you know, I was I got married so young we didn't realize we were allowed to do anything different. We had the we we got married in a church. We had the reception in a hotel ballroom. Like then we went on our honeymoon. We we did all the things you're supposed to do, and you know we got to the honeymoon, watched two people get married on a dock. Within five minutes of getting there, we're like, we really screwed this up. (laughs) I'm torn on the on the on the big wedding stuff, Andy. We got we got married at a uh, biblical museum in Dallas. Shout out to uh, it was right next to North Park over there off of. Northwest Highway, and then uh, you move out into the the ballroom for like a like a hors d'oeuvre situation, and then they turn the room, the actual big ballroom, from a ceremony area into a. Oh, you didn't uh, even have to go into, anywhere. No, Appreciate you didn't that. have to go anywhere, which was nice because we had a lot of out of town guests. So, uh, 
That was, goodness, nine and a half years ago, Andy. It's been a while. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I am, I am hopeful that the Wasserman nuptials go uh, a bit like a Steelers draft, Andy. <laughs> How did you feel about... Uh, I was, you know, the Kenny Pickett uh, sort of uh, crying into his cell phone, one of the more memorable moments of the evening, getting to yeah. stick in Pittsburgh. That's got to be really cool. Doesn't really, that's the I one mean, that's going to stick doesn't with Doesn't he have to change parking spots? Yeah. How Props often does that happen? That's, that's really a weird, there's so few um, college programs that are so locked into, um, you know, relating to the pro aspect. And you look at Pitt. I mean, I'd like to know how many how many pit players the Steelers have drafted ever. It has to be a very low number. I don't feel like I've remembered that. That's certainly not in the first round. That's certainly not a quarterback. Uh, yeah, I'd, for, for and and the, here's the thing: them picking him tells me, and I don't know what because that's I've been kind of non-committal on Kenny Pickett throughout this process. It, 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 I'm scared because there was only one year of the really great production. Mm-hmm. And he was playing extensively the other years. It wasn't like he wasn't playing. So what was the kind of the, the differentiating factor? But the fact that they've been basically in the same building the entire time. So they, they know how he works. They know how he interacts. They know how, you know, how he is with his teammates. That level of confidence in him to take him there, given all they know about him, I think that speaks pretty highly of him. I think some of the commentary, the the high floor, low ceiling, I think is probably about where I land on Kenny Pickett. But I think he was the best quarterback I saw that was drafted in this draft class last year. And I think it's because when I'm thinking about being a great NFL quarterback, the most important thing that I want in a guy is when you try to throw the ball, does it go where you wanted it to go? 
Like, yeah. I think I think some Sometimes of the processing. It, it is good to s- simplify things like that. Yeah, I think the processing stuff. I think that can be fixed. I think different systems can help guys. But the one thing that you don't see get fixed very often is accuracy. And if you've got that, I think you can you can fix some of the other stuff. Yeah. And so I really agreed with a lot of the the analysis with the quarterbacks this year. I didn't see a guy in this draft class that made me go wow. Uh, I I didn't see one. And, but and I neither did I, the I NFL did, teams, by the way. Exactly. Because um, the, Fal- the Falcons could have could have taken a developmental guy and said, Mar- Marcus mm-hmm. Mariota, you're our starter this year, and then this is our our quarterback of the future. The Panthers could have taken someone. So I, I think that tells me Baker Mayfield will go somewhere that tell him probably Carolina. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo probably at, at some point after he, because I know he had to have surgery. So when, when he's healed up, that he's probably headed somewhere too. But, and, and I look at that the QB class of 2023, David, I don't blame these teams for being no. skittish with this bunch. It's, they're coming. But I think in this class, Pickett was number one for me. I think I'd actually go Carson Strong number two in terms of guys that I think can have a great career. His his and I think knee Bailey is, Zappi is the might issue. Be People three. are worried about what what that's going to be like long term. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Malik Willis has the highest ceiling in terms of just. I would agree with that. Yeah, it, raw ability, but he's never been in an offense like the offenses he'd be expected to play in the NFL. So I, you take him, you have to, you have to, quote unquote, redshirt him for lack of a better term. Like well, you and, and tweak your offense. Don't try to force a square peg into a round hole. I mean, you don't have to do something as dramatic as what the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson, but you have to do maybe something a little bit like what the Chiefs did and add some concepts and do some things that he does well and put some people around him, obviously, that can uh, uh, figure that out. It looks at this point like Malik Willis is going to be a day two guy, it sounds yeah. like. Dak, um, Daxton Hill to the Bengals. So they, they do go defense. That was the, mm-hmm. the thought that they were feeling pretty good about where they were offensively uh i i would have loved linderbaum there although it, it sounds like maybe they wouldn't have wouldn't have taken him if he'd been there but uh yeah. he was gone anyway so daxton hill and shore up a you know a secondary that they've got good players there obviously they made it to the super bowl but uh their their young core is on offense so this this gives them some some younger talent on defense yeah i uh I'm with you on the the quarterbacks though, and 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 this Bruce Feldman and I talked about this the other day about you know look Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, those are going to be the headliners. I think mm-hmm. C.J. Stroud maybe more because of size and arm strength and, and and mm-hmm. everything else, but both of those guys are gonna are gonna excite NFL teams. And then I don't really know who the other guys are going to be. I think that will come out as the season goes on. Bruce likes. Bruce likes Will Levis to come out as as kind of a dark the tools horse. Tools are there. I, the production yeah. needs to be better, but the tools. Right. You watch him and you're like, oh yeah. But but playing in an offense with a lot of NFL concepts, it, you know, mm-hmm. Liam Cohen came from the Rams last year. He leaves the new OC comes from the 49ers. So you have the yep. the McVay tree. You have the the Shanahan tree, which is really the same same tree. But you have a guy who who runs, you know, at least part of the hottest offense in the NFL. Um, so that makes sense to me. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke at Miami is one that I think they'll look at and go. We, I like his upside like this way, year. He's got like the way he it. looks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's got to do it. Uh, we we saw flashes of it this year. We saw for a few games this year. Do it over the course of the season and, and do it big because you've got again the pieces around you. Obviously, Mario Cristobal has had some success with quarterbacks and, and seeing guys do some big things. So, so we'll see. Any should we talk about the receivers? Yes. 
They're all so good. I I thought <laughs> I like them all. <laughs> yeah, I like I, I'm with you on this. I think all these guys are game breakers. But I really did think coming in that Drake London was the best guy. I thought he was the best player, a uh, best receiver in the country last year. I think unfairly because he got hurt around Halloween. Well, he he also wasn't playing with as much firepower, yeah. as all these other guys were. Look at look at look at who's throwing. People forgot about him. Look at who's throwing Jamison Williams and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave the ball. Yep. You know, for what top five picks next year? Is he's doing that exactly? Uh, and 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 uh, you know, ultimately. I think Drake London is is fantastic player. I've I've loved him, uh, you know, since I've seen him. A lot of Pac-12 after dark. Uh, I've kept my eye on him. I love but watching all him Ohio drag guys, like seven people. Yeah, he'll catch all a pass over the guys, middle, yeah. and and defenders will just continue to pile on top of him, and he will continue moving. And I, mm-hmm. I just love watching that. Andy, the only receiver who had a bad night, Mr. Traylon Burks. Is that bad? You thought yes, that was bad? bad? Yes. Why? It's bad. They because trained A.J. Get, Brown, and he is very physically similar to A.J. Brown. But now he's going to be compared to A.J. Brown. He can't. He he's he is A.J. Brown's replacement. He can't just walk in and be Traylon Burks. He's going to be compared. Well, we trade. We gave up this guy that everybody loved. That was a stud. The Titans are waiting forever to get a great receiver. They get one. Everyone, you know, is especially after the way the playoffs ended last year. Pretty spicy about Tannehill. And you walk in there, and and quite frankly, Andy, we talked about it earlier in the show, he's coming from that Baylor tree where mm-hmm. you're not running NFL routes that don't really translate. It might take you a little while, you know, if at all, to be able to, to be uh, a, a competent, productive NFL receiver. But when they trade this beloved freak ahead of you, like 30 minutes before you get picked, 20 minutes before you get picked, that's that's tough, Andy. Well, I, I, I don't know if you can get back I will push back a little bit on the college offense thing. A.J. Brown played in Hugh Freeze's offense at, at Ole Miss, which True. also does not, it, it is not the same thing as you're going to play in the NFL. It is mm-hmm. not the, the same route tree kind of situation. So it's possible to adjust to that. Now, the, yeah, he the, can. Other, the other question I have for, for with Traylon Burks is can you do some Cordero Patterson, Debo Samuel type things with him? Well, if you don't, you're wasting his ability, quite yeah. frankly. Um, you, have to be, you have to be creative. And especially if you're in the Titans' shoes, you can't just ask Derrick Henry to carry the ball 400 times every season. That's just not something that you can do if you want to have him you know, not run all the, 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 uh, the tread off of his tires. Well, now you got a guy in, in Traylon Burks that can do some things and take some... some um, uh, some some uh, um, uh, that load off of uh-huh. uh, of Derrick Henry's shoulders, and I think that's you know you you got to be able to use that. But ultimately, Andy, I, if I'm a first round pick, I want to come in and be my own person. I don't want to have to be someone's replacement or someone's that's going to be com- constantly compared to me. And comparing a kid who hasn't done anything to AJ Brown, which is going to happen, that's a rough situation. It is, of of it, all the receivers, I think he had the big worst, shoes to fill for sure. Spot. Uh, so Lewis Seen closes out the first round. The safety from Georgia goes to the Vikings. So David, five first round picks on that Georgia defense last year. Nicobe Dean still yet to go. I imagine he gets his name called very early Friday. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Carter will be a probably top ten pick this time next year. There yeah. will be other players from that defense who who are probably also drafted very high. Are we starting to get a picture of just how good that defense really was? 
I mean, I think, Andy, looking back, I, I guess, you know, nobody really talked about it. Nobody really saw it. But I guess Georgia did have a pretty good defense. Yeah. I, I, One I of mean, the most overlooked stories probably <laughs> of all of last season. But, I mean, it, it, they were they were very dominant in an era when we thought no defense could ever be dominant again. Yeah. And I think, you know, I tweeted this out, Andy, but, I you know, I've, I've kind of made my run around the league this this spring and talked to some coaches and. You know, I kind of talk to him and say, "Hey, you know, who who jumps out to you? Who do you who scares you? Who who kind of all that stuff?" And and some of those conversations inevitably turn to to Georgia's defense. And when you talk about when they when they talk about the guys from Georgia's defense last year and moving forward, it's like a different coach will talk about a different guy. Someone will talk about Jordan Davis. Someone will talk about we couldn't do anything laterally on Kobe Dean. He just erased everything. Uh, you heard a little bit of Quay Walker. Um, you heard a, a lot um, uh, of Jalen Carter, especially as he's moving forward. Did not hear a lot of uh, Trayvon Walker, I have to say. But you know, we'll see as we as we move move forward. But I think that's the crazy thing about that that Georgia defense, Andy is. You know, we saw it proven, obviously, in the draft tonight. Not that anybody was was doubting it, but just how you you watched them last year, and you saw you you could just say, "Wow, this is an insane group." Mm-hmm. We have not seen anything like this in a long time. They drew a lot of comparisons to eleven Bama. I think you know, with the SEC championship, uh, the way that played out, might have cost them their unofficial title as the best defense in history, but certainly one of the best ever. And Andy, fair or not how all those guys' pro careers play out, kind of like we saw with the early 2000s Miami teams. If all these guys prove to be studs, they can kind of actually, I think, go back and rewrite some of that history when you see, well, if they had five all-pros on that defense, well, they might be able to earn that spot as, hey, this is the best defense that college football has ever seen. Yeah, it is. The numbers bear it out, especially in this era of offense. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you, that's 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 where I think people did overlook when you tried to compare them to 2011 Bama. Is that's a totally different era of SEC defense, and for them to do that this year, especially with the kind of quarterbacks and the kind of offenses that we've seen, but you know, between Arkansas, who they just absolutely demolished. Uh, I don't think they didn't play Ole Miss, did they? Georgia, they didn't. They play did Ole Miss not, last no. year. Uh, Alabama more so in the national championship game, of course. Um, I think Alabama they, they, Alabama exploited how little their starters had had to play in the mm-hmm. first game. They went fast on them. They got them tired. And I think Georgia made sure that that didn't happen again the next time, that, mm-hmm. that they were ready for that. Hilariously, uh, the Clemson game showed us nothing, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, man... Sure. It showed us the Georgia defense was was not going to allow many points against a, an offense that that wasn't all that great. So yeah, but and that, they didn't for the whole season. And and um, we didn't well, we didn't know what the Clemson offense was going to be until we saw watched it. the Georgia Tech game was the one where where I realized oh my, it may just be that Clemson's offense is not very good this year. <laughs> so we'll be right back after these words. David, there was a college story that broke, and it's not a college football story, but it's it's a college basketball story that more than likely will find its way to college football sooner In rather time. than later that I, I want to talk about because I the, I felt like this was kind of taking over my Twitter timeline as, as the first round went on. Mostly, I mean, this is what we do. This is what we cover, and it, it has a bigger impact on, on what we cover. So... I, did you notice? Because I, I this made my eyes pop the other day when 
Nigel Pack, who's a, a basketball player who was transferring from Kansas State, he was considered one of the best players in the transfer portal this offseason. He goes to Miami. John Ruiz, who is a, a lawyer down there in, in South Florida, who created this company called Life Wallet. Basically, it seems like to create a platform to hire athletes from the University of Miami to advertise for it. So, who's to, a billionaire? We should, know. yeah, yes. To but to create an NIL plat, uh, an NIL platform for for lack of a better term, he tweets that he has signed Nigel Pack to a two year eight hundred thousand dollar deal, and I was like, that's really and because I'm coming off writing that Texas A and M story about its collective where the people running it tell me they don't want any attention, they don't want anybody to know what's going on, they don't want to talk about any deals. Mm-hmm. And this deal is just being announced publicly. I believe he tweeted it, if I'm not mistaken. He did. He tweeted it, yes. (laughs) So on Thursday night, in the middle of the NFL draft, the agent for Isaiah Wong, who was Miami's best player this past year, an all-ACC-type player. Major star turn in the tournament as well. Yeah. Demolished Auburn. Yes. Remember, this team went to the Elite Eight. Mm -hmm. So his agent says... Isaiah would like an NIL deal that better reflects his position as the leader of an Elite Eight team. And remember, the deadline to enter the transfer portal and play somewhere else next school year is Sunday. Now, Isaiah Wong has also done the enter the NBA draft, but don't forfeit your eligibility thing. So clearly he is using every piece of leverage he has. But this is an issue that we talked about might happen. And, you know, everybody assumed it was going to happen at some point. And now here it is. Somebody got, you know, got the shiny new toy. And there was somebody sitting there with a deal who was already on the team that says, wait a second. I'm the most important person on this team. Why don't I have the best deal on this team? This happens in pro sports all the time, by the way. This is, this is how holdouts happen. In college, you don't have to hold out. Now, you can just go somewhere else. Well, this is sort of the tension right now as this as college football uh for la- you know, we'll, we'll focus on football because these these same tensions are happening. Because what is happening is you have players who have done something and have been on campus. They're getting good NIL deals. Uh well, Andy, first of all, I, I think we need to restructure. I mean, the concept of even saying an NIL deal, I think, is disingenuous to what we're even really talking. It about. is. I don't paid. think. It, Let's just I, say yeah, they're I, getting they're getting I, better pay. Yeah, I don't think that we need to go all the way to pay for play because it's not as clean and simple as that. That's not what it is. But they're being paid. Okay. Yeah, I, so I don't have, really care. You can call pay for play if you want. Like, I'm not the the NCAA cops. I don't care. Well, it's not about that. It's just pay for play is not exactly what it is. It's probably in spirit close, but pay for play. You're not collecting checks from the university anyway. Yeah. Nomenclature aside, let's. So what we're talking about here. So what is happening right now is players that have proven themselves and done some things but are already on campus, wearing the uniform, all those things, are getting pretty good deals. They're making good money. Um, you know, six figures, you know, good good money. These are not uncommon. But what is happening also, Andy, and we've written about this, mm-hmm. is guys that are being recruited and are uh, – uh, 
Well, Andy, they're not being induced, right? Surely not. Uh, Again, <laughs> but I don't are... care. I don't work for the NCAA, so <laughs> well, you, you say could, whatever you want. You're, you're, aren't you a candidate for the new NCAA president? So I am I don't not. Wanna... That, that's the one, uh, okay. one of these jobs I did not apply for because it's okay. just people yelling at you the entire time. To be fair, just so we get this out there, if you want to pay me $2.7 million, Andy, you can yell at me as much as you want, just for the record. Okay. Anyway, uh, so... But these guys that are still not on a campus and are uh, uh, earmuffs NCAA being induced to come to campuses are being induced with a lot of money. In mm-hmm. most cases, more money. Money that is not commiserate with their college accomplishments. That is happening. Six-figure deals, seven-figure deals. Um, you know, there are multiple campuses right now, Andy, where guys are making or, you know, who aren't even on campus yet are making more money or have more money committed to them than guys who threw for 2,500, 3,000 yards, 30 touchdowns mm-hmm. last year. That's a natural tension. I think, I think, Andy, I think one of those people might've been on the podcast this week. It's possible. I think Andy, I think this will even out over time. As I do too. More and this, more is, players. this is the market figuring this itself out. This is the out. transition. But yes. th- it's interesting doing that Texas A&M story. This is what I got from talking to those people behind the scenes. Because that this the thirty million dollar thing, which obviously they say isn't true, and I I believe it's not true. Yeah, it's if too they'd, much. If they'd had thirty million dollars, they would have paid Kenyon Green and Demarvin Leal to come back. Yes, like they would have said, whatever your first year NFL salary is, we'll match it or surpass it. And Kenyon Green was the number what fifteen pick. He, was, he the Texans Something picked like him that. in the first round. Leal hasn't been picked yet, but he will be picked at some point in the next couple of days, and. Those are first team all SEC performers. Like they're proven. They're not a crapshoot like these recruits are. They're worth more. And and I think this is one that you know the NFL had to figure this out, David. It it took until Sam Bradford really. Yeah. That the well, NFL Ray finally was like 10 years old, right? Yeah, did a CBA that said you you're not going to waste all your money on these rookies. You're going to give the money to the veterans. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what it was. The, the rookie salary scale was the people in the union already saying, no, 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 pay us. Don't pay them. They haven't proven anything yet. This won't be a, a, a collectively bargained thing, at least not yet. But in college, I am curious to see, do the, the people running these collectives figure out, wait a second, the ones who've already proven they can play at this level we should probably take care of them first. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. I think a lot of the collectives did, quote-unquote, take care of them, but then when the guys that are not on campus yet are getting more money, then it gets a little sticky um, because keeping a guy is less expensive than acquiring a guy. Um, And so... That's sort of the tension. Now, I think this tension will only last a few years. I think as the market sorts itself out and, you know, quarterbacks that are I, I also in think they'll school. figure out a way to put some structure into this thing, one way or the other, whether it's make them employees who, who, though, and have a CBA who, or... I, I don't think we're going to get to the employees. I think the schools... I think, I think, uh, I think it may be inevitable at a certain point. Maybe. I don't think they're going to get the federal law they want. Yeah. We'll see. That There's so many hurdles to get to that point that I... I the current environment is already spicy and interesting enough that it's it's but fascinating David, to see our, this play like out. our industry and mm-hmm. all, and you know i realize if like if you're a teacher then then you probably work in a situation where your pay is based on 
your education and your level of experience. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of other industries, including ours, you're essentially worth whatever someone will pay you. This is true. And like our bosses have to know the market. They have to know, they know what we make, obviously, because they decide what we make. But they kind of have to know what everybody makes at SI or ESPN or everywhere else to make sure that we're being paid fairly and not not too little and not too much because either one's yeah. a problem. Yeah. A and that's kind of what these guys have to figure, these collective people have to figure out. Well, I, I'd say college administrators, but it's it's not necessarily them making the decisions. Yeah, and I think the thing that would be interesting, Andy, I said right when NIL came in, and again, I, I almost feel naive using the term NIL, but whatever. Well, whenever when players could start making money. Yes. One of the things that I said immediately was, well, these first round of guys are going to be paid way too much because the fire right. hose is on and then the market will sort itself out. And maybe that's true, Andy. I, I really am not sure. You know, if you told me now, we're sitting here. This is April 20. Well, I guess you're listening to this on April 29th, 2022. If you told me that in 2027, a five star prospect is still commanding a solid seven digits, I would say, okay, probably. I, I don't know. Now, now, where does this I, move? I would think it would have it to be like back? a Trevor sure. Lawrence level sure thing. But, Andy, when you have a five star that's within reach, Aren't they all sure things? Isn't that the whole thing with recruiting? No. This is the guy that can change our program. And it's different for programs. If a five-star wants to go to Purdue versus Alabama. Right. I was going to say, Alabama doesn't look at it the same way. Because they're yes. like, well, we have other five-stars. You're not special. Yes. But then it comes into, well, how much money. I think I, I, you know, Ari and I have talked about this. How much money would it take the gap between what Purdue's willing to pay you and what Alabama's willing to pay you if you want to go there. Well, I think we're, I think we're seeing that. You know, if indeed yeah. if indeed that deal that Stuart Mandel wrote about is Nico at Tennessee. Well, Tennessee probably has to pay more yeah, than Alabama have, or Georgia more, or Ohio how much State. More? We don't have yeah. the data to know. Yeah. And I don't know that we're going to have the data because getting the numbers on these deals is difficult. Um, and there's not a lot of them I, out there because they're all private. <laughs> listen, David, the, the first time we're going to see an unredacted version of one of these contracts is going to be in, a, in discovery for a lawsuit. <laughs> I think you're right. And, you're and I mean, right. it's going to happen. That's that's yes. going to happen. And, and what's yes. interesting with this Miami thing, so Isaiah Wong has a deal with Life Wallet. With with the Life Wallet is the company. It, it it's a product, I guess, an app that is supposed to store your medical records. So if you get if something happens to you, uh, and and you have to you know go to the hospital. I guess they can yeah. they can see all of your medical records in one place. And also, Andy, but, if you just have one drop of blood, they can oh, diagnose you for oh, a wow, <laughs> nice. No, anyway, I, I do I do Andy, think you can put records on an app. Theranos was a bit of a pipe dream, but no, I mean clearly this is this is a vehicle to pay. These guys yes. for for endorsements. Well, but but Andy, if but, but, Isaiah, but tax, so what I'm so. saying is Isaiah Wong has a deal already. Yes, he's just not happy with that deal right now. Well, so but what we're talking about is if he is LeBron James 
coming into his second year of college. Well, guess what, Andy? You're going to renegotiate that deal. Exactly. The question is, the question that Miami has to answer, well, I say Miami, you know, John Ruiz and whatever, is he good enough to pay him right. more than we agreed and, and to? That's, because you can, that's and right part now of this, it seems like the answer is no. That's all part of this, too. I had a friend who was arguing with, you, with me over this, and like, well, what if they don't want to renegotiate the deal? I'm like, that's their choice. Yeah. It's a then, business then he's decision, go and he leaves. It. He can go play at Wake Forest and yeah. probably score 20 points a game and you see him in the ACC tournament and try to knock him out and we're going to write about it and it's going to be very fun and he's probably going to make a good amount of money and everyone's going to be fine. Yeah. And it, again, you know, this is the free market, Andy, and I think you add the free transfers in there. Um, again, if you're a university and you're not going to pay players – you don't get to say where they go. You don't well, get to have and, and a lot of the, a lot of and, and uh, I know there are a lot of people who, what they're doing. A lot of people who hate the way we feel about this because we're pretty sort of laissez-faire about this. Like I don't care how much they get paid. I don't care if they're paid to no. to go to a certain school. I don't care if they're induced. It doesn't matter to me. Like I've always said, let whoever wants to pay him pay him, and the market well, will sort itself. Again, out. the the people who quote unquote are angry about this or hate how this is going. Guess where they're going to be on Saturday afternoons? And they're going to be at the games. <laughs> yes, they're going to yeah. be watching the games. But what, my point was this: almost all of us have done this in our careers. Yes, one yes. way or the other. Now, I don't think I've never refused to work to to you get a higher paycheck, yeah. but I have come in and said I'm worth more than this. Yeah, and I have been told, "No, you're not." Get back to work, and I have been told, <laughs> "Yes, you're okay. right." Yeah. Here's more. Please don't leave. So it it is this is not any different than millions of individual situations across the country every single day. Yes. And I think Andy, you know, I think this is a good life philosophy, good approach. Know your worth does not always mean constantly ask for more. Right. It just means know your worth. And it means and when you have leverage, I'm, use it and Isaiah yes. Wong for the next couple days, has leverage. Yeah, and I'm guessing he's in a situation where he, he probably doesn't want to leave Miami, but he probably knows, because he has an agent, and agents know what's going on around there, that he can probably make more elsewhere. And he's probably going to. Maybe not as much as maybe he could make by staying in Miami if they agree to pony up, but Andy right now doesn't seem like they're going to. And I this is, you know... This is going to be really, really interesting. I, I, I don't think the public. I, I do think the public nature of this probably is a little short sighted on his front. I, I think it's probably not a great I, look. I was, I was shocked. Like my mouth dropped open when I saw the yeah. tweet for the for the Nigel Pack nil deal. Like mm-hmm. this is how much it's worth. And it's interesting because I talked to so I talked to Hugh Hathcock the following day. Hugh Hathcock is the the Florida donor. He's, he, he, he gave yeah. the single largest donation to the Florida Athletic Department in its history at $12.6 million. And he also decided that the collective that was working on behalf of Florida, of you know, I guess adjacent to Florida, I never know the right words to say with this. But <laughs> Fortunately, I'm not an NCAA cop yeah, either. Yeah, so he, okay. he, des- he decided that they weren't raising money fast enough, so he was going to start raising it. He threw in a million dollars of his own money and then started calling the richest of his Florida Booster friends and saying, all right, the war chest needs to be filled up to us to fill it. And I was talking yeah. to him, and he said, yeah, I want this out there. I want everybody to know we're doing this. Now, Well, I think 
I don't think he wants to give the details of individual deals with players, but he wants the players to know that it's there. I think the interesting thing, Andy, that that I suspect that this is going eventually, and I think this is a genius move if a coach does this, but I was talking to somebody who said that they had talked to a coach who was asking them if it would be legal if their wife gave a million dollars to their university's collective. Now that you would want to do publicly, yeah. if you're sure it's legal, because that only says, hey, I'm first in line. We're in. Come on yeah. back. We're doing this. And then in the set, you know, you, you earn a lot of goodwill, you know, all those things. I think we're going to see that within do, do the next you, year. Do you know, David, do you remember that there was a coach who actually brought up at his conference meetings that coaches should be able to create a fund to give money to their players? Was it Spurrier? It was. It was yes. Spurrier. <laughs> Sprayer's been beating that drum for decades, man. Yeah. He's been the players should get everything that they can for a while now. Yeah, he did. He was coached at South Carolina at the time. I believe it was in mm-hmm. Steven Garcia era at South Carolina. Yeah, that when sounds he, right. When he said, mm-hmm. and if in fact it may that that may have been pitched at a moment when there was some Steven Garcia drama going on. So it may, <laughs> that may have been the shiny object to hold in front of us to keep us from asking about that, but. But it's funny that, that that's that's where because I had not thought about it that way with it. Yeah, with the spouse of a coach. Now, you could say, where's the money coming from? But I mean, if you have a joint bank account, that's as much well, the but spouse's even, money but, as the coach's money. So, so the way that so we were we were I was talking about this. So you could be act. The question is, even if it's a coach, right? Is are you acting as a coach in theory? Because in or are you acting as a booster? Well, that's the question. Is because technically it doesn't really matter where who is funding the collective in theory. Now, I think that's true, Andy. I have not worked yeah. in compliance, so don't quote me on. See, this. It, it's funny because uh, Stuart Mandel and I were tweeting at each other about this today, and and Stuart was talking about how basically they didn't need to make this cockamamie system. They could have made it more direct, yes. but it, you know the the it's old stupid. guard. The it's old guard wanted, but it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, the old guard wanted guardrails or whatever you want to call them, without even thinking. Nobody's got. Everyone will find every loophole. Nobody yes. thought about. It. I, well, they thought they knew it, but but it's funny how it really did sort of honor the time honored college sports tradition of middlemen and outsourcing. Like yeah. nobody outsources better than college sports. Yes. Well, Andy, the, the question that we were talking about with the collectives is, as I was saying, explain to me, so and if people want to get mad about this, explain to me the difference, okay, if your local Habitat for Humanity charity is saying, well, this kid is, in, uh, you know, is in a, a junior in high school, his family, you know, where we've nominated them to really get this house that we need or that they need, that they would, it would mean a lot to them. I don't know how Habitat for Humanity chooses who gets their homes, but whatever. And let's say that this 11th grader also happens to be a five-star recruit. Well, what's the difference in that versus a coach giving a million dollars to Habitat for Humanity, their local chapter, who's about to build this kid a house? What's the difference? I, I mean, it's, it's going to be a nice house for, for one, <laughs> but... Yeah. I, I don't know. It, that's And that's the thing with me is there was no way to regulate this once they let it get out of hand. Yeah. Once they let the state start making laws. And this is what I this is what I said all along. And, and I said this back 
during the O'Bannon case, if they do not start negotiating with the players and start giving more to the players, someone's going to take this. Because you don't, you don't want the government telling you how you have to do something. That's when it gets really complicated. Mm-hmm. Well, what is this but the government telling you how to do something? You have this patchwork of state laws that's deciding how all of this works at various in various places. And changing every week in every state, Correct. by the way. It's impossible Correct. to keep track of. If, if they had been willing, the schools being they, if they had been willing to, to negotiate and to make a deal and to give a little all along, then maybe they wouldn't have kept getting dragged into court. And maybe they wouldn't be in this situation because the, this is the, the, the confluence of the states making these NIL laws and the Supreme Court issuing the Alston ruling, which makes the schools afraid to enforce yes, the existing anything. NCAA rules or make new ones. So this is they, they've brought this all on themselves, which I think is hilarious because... I also think it's hilarious. They did not have to do this to themselves. They could have given an inch at some point in time, but they decided to dig in their heel. Well, again, you know, for decades, Andy, everyone in the sport has had to pretend like... Oh well, if players can capitalize off their name, we need to go back, Andy. We need to have a we need to have a dramatic reading of some nil quotes from like 2010. <laughs> we can go back and Lexus Nexus it and find some of these because I guarantee you we'll find some incredible ones. But we've had to hear this nonsense, Andy. Well, if college football has a playoff, it's going to ruin the sport, Andy. Well, if players can monetize their name, image, and likeness, everyone's going to check out. It's going to ruin the sport, Andy. Everything's going to be terrible. And now you're hearing some of the same rhetoric around players getting more things. And, you know, ultimately, Andy, for all the good that... uh, I don't even want to use NIL, but for all the good that players being able to be paid has brought, they're still probably not getting market value, yeah. Although, well, a couple of recruits are probably getting more than they're worth. Yeah, some but, might, some but, are. Yes. But the general, the general guy is not. Right. Yeah, and and it, I think probably the market continues to move until it finds the level. That tends to be how they move. And when I, they're not, I still think when they're any, not artificially restrained. I want to stress too as we're having this conversation because a lot of people don't like this. A lot of people are uncomfortable with this. A lot of people, and it's fine. People don't like change. Whatever. 30,000-foot view, Andy. They're still going to play games. Yes. They're still going to wear the uniforms. There's still going to be 100,000 people in the stands. All this other stuff is just a more fair and equitable universe. Well, so I, I, I answered a mailbag question like this because when I look at my mailbag questions, it's it's a lot of them come from the same type of person, people who are really deeply geeky about college football, just like I am. Mm-hmm. And... So you think about the rules and you think about the structure and, and, and that sort of thing. And so it was another one of those, you know, tell me how this is not going to ruin the sport type questions. Or, or he said, tell me what you're going to do to keep people from checking out. And I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have football games on Saturdays in large stadiums and people who went to those universities are going to come and they're going to engage in cheers that might be weird or salacious or just stupid uh, but that they've been doing for a hundred years and there's probably gonna be marching bands and those games will be televised and everyone will watch because for every one person who asks one of those questions, there are a hundred who do not care about any of the regulatory stuff and just want to watch the games. And for the, and, and Andy, 
I'm skeptical that these people exist, so maybe I'm talking to a, a vocal minority. But the the crowd who says, "Well, you know, I'm I'm checking out. I don't I can't buy this. The players I thought they were playing for the love of the game, all this other stuff, whatever you want to say. The 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 well, if this I, I don't believe you because you, th- those are the people who say I haven't watched a game in six months yes. and go further down their Twitter <laughs> feed and they're live tweeting the game. Yeah, well, to be fair, Andy, I haven't watched a college football game in over three months. So yeah, me neither, uh, and I'm, but anyway, I'm not happy about it. But that crew, okay. My my question to you would be would be this. Well, two questions, if we're fair. Number one, why does does players getting money or living in a nice apartment or having a nice car or being able to invest or buy a home in college? Andy, can you imagine being able to purchase a home right, that, easily that's the at one 20? thing that blows my mind? Like it's. It's insane. Having the amount, having enough money to put a 20% down payment on a house yes. coming out of college would have changed the fi- financial trajectory of my life. Everyone's lives. Yeah. It, it would have been amazing. It would, it would have been incredible. Yeah. So anyway, so why does that bug you so much? And my second question is, why didn't it bug you when the Big Ten signed a billion-dollar TV deal or when Nick Saban signs a ten million dollar contract, why, why, why is he allowed to get paid, or the schools allowed to get paid insane amounts of money, and not the players? What, what is the difference? Well, and why does that make it so much different for you? I, I truly don't understand that mindset. I, I mean, I think for some people we know the answer. Yes, it's who gets the money now versus who. Yes, got all the money before. Uh, but I don't think that's everybody. No. I think for some people, it, they just haven't really thought it through. They don't like change. They're they're not thinking about it critically. It's just this is not what I had when I was a teenager, and therefore it must be bad. Yeah, I think so. But I think if you feel that way, and maybe I'm preaching to the vocal minority, but if you feel that way, honestly, think about why. Why do you feel that way? Well, I mean, in the, in the that Brett Kavanaugh wrote in his concurring opinion... In the in the Austin case, we said, "Who picks a restaurant based on how poorly the waiters are compensated?" Like, yes, that th- this that's, guy that's made my age for the ever. love of the game. Yeah, well, Andy, and and I think too for that same crowd who longs for the college sports days of yore, in the current political climate, no one on either side of the aisle can agree on anything except for the entirety of college sports is unlawful and unethical <laughs> right. and unconstitutional. That's right. the one thing because the that left says you're violating workers' rights on. and the right says yes. you're you're artificially constraining free, market. free markets. Like or That's open the one markets. thing and and here you are, you know, uh mythical college sports boycotter. You know, it's it, it just it it defies logic. It's a great needle to thread. It is. <laughs> it's it's Again, incredible. I just think it do, this doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect you. It affects these players whose lives are going to be fundamentally different. But here, my thing about it is, look, you can be mad about it all you want. I, I had a guy ask me to, uh, on Twitter tonight, you know, is it okay to not be okay with the way some of these players are, are leveraging and also not be okay with coaches who leave in the middle of their contracts? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I guess. It's okay to feel however you want. I will say, Andy... If you're coaching, it's not okay to not be okay with this. You better get on board or get out oh. of the way. I talked to, I talked to Brian Harson about this today. I I was uh, uh, asking him a couple questions, and 
And I was going to talk to him about it off the record, just about what he thinks about this everything changed and collectives. And he said, no, I'll, I'll talk about it on the record. And he had two really interesting things to, to say. One, as he said, you know what's going to come out of this is we're going to see a lot more business majors, which I think is good, which I think is probably true. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Uh, you know, If you've got all this money, you want to understand how to better use it and how to invest and build companies and do all these things. And, you know, I asked him, well, how do you feel about guys coming to your campus with, you know, six and seven figure deals? What do you think about that? He said, well, why not? What, what, you know, if you've got that he opportunity. He just wants some of the guys capitalize. that can fetch a seven he figure does. deal. He does, but all the coaches should be. I, these coaches yeah. that are saying, well, we're not going to do that, or that's not what I kept nah, this get business a, yeah, for. Get on board, you're, baby. you're not long for this world if you want to hang on to that hang on to that branch because that branch is going to snap in a hurry. Well, let, let's talk about that because – on Monday, we had the coach that I think is is probably the way he coaches is probably the the best way to handle players in this age of the transfer portal, and that's Dave Aranda from Baylor. And this week, he did something that I'm not sure a lot of coaches would have done. And I actually wrote about this situation in my story, but got it backward. So they had Jerry Bohannon, who was their starting quarterback last year, Blake Shapin who replaced an injured Bohannon in the Big 12 championship game, was the offensive player of the game in the Big 12 championship game. And Bohannon came back and and won the Sugar Bowl for him. And they split reps with the first team. And I I wrote my story, you know, if Shapin... Because Baylor hadn't lost anybody who actually played. And I said, the one guy they might lose, they could lose Blake Shapin. Because if he's not the starter, he's proven probably that he's worthy of starting somewhere. So I'd want him to start for my team, yeah. Well, Dave Aranda and and Jeff Grimes, their offense coordinator, clearly evaluated the spring, decided they wanted Blake Shapin to start for their team. But where they diverged from what I think other coaches would have done is instead of saying, no, no, we're not going to make a decision till fall practice. And handcuffing the quarterback to the program. Right. They said, no, guys, here we go. We're going to start Blake, which means Bo Hannon can get in the transfer portal and Bohannon can start somewhere else too. Like yeah. your your alma mater, for David. The record, your alma mater Bo- could uh, Missouri could use somebody right now. Uh, they're 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 giving it a run for its money. I'll tell yeah. you that. <laughs> I talked yeah. to people from Missouri this week that that definitely feel that way. But I think it's you know again. I think Shapin's a better player. I think Bohannon's a really good player who can start for a bunch of people. I think he'd be obviously a good fit at Missouri. He'd be a good fit at a bunch of places. Really good player. Um, but again, I, I think you know Aranda is one of just those guys who does it right. He, you know, there, there's some, there's a bunch of coaches in this in this sport, Andy. That every time you talk to somebody, if their name comes up, you get eight stories about how they're the, just a piece of trash. <laughs> and then there's coaches in this business who you've never heard say a negative word about ever anyone yeah. in the history of the world. And Aranda's one of those guys. Yeah, the latter group. And it's because of things like this. You can talk about, I'm players first. Oh, I care about my kids. You can say all that stuff. But when you actually make decisions where it costs you something mm-hmm. for a kid to benefit, right, cause, cause that's they, when I believe you. They could have used both those guys on their roster. They, yes, Clearly. their team is worse now because yeah. they don't have Gary Bohannon yeah. on it. They, they, they didn't. I mean, Bohannon gets hurt, and they clearly needed them both last year. Yeah, they could need them both this year. Now, I will say because the the one situation I could kind of compare it to from the old system was uh, 2013 at Florida. Will Muschamp had Jeff Driscoll and Jacoby Brissett, uh, Jacoby Brissett, and he said, "Look, I'm starting Jeff. Jacoby, I'm not going to string you along. 
if you want to transfer, you go ahead. And and Jacoby mm-hmm. transferred to NC State to start sitting. Now he had to start sitting out that year so that he could play the following season. But uh, while that was happening in 2013, Jeff Driscoll breaks his leg in week three, and they didn't really have anybody behind him. And it got mm-hmm. real ugly, and they went four and eight. Chiron Drones is the uh, is the third was the third team guy in the spring this year. I watched him practice last week. He is a he, he's got a strong arm. He's a big dude. It looks like they probably had some confidence in him as well. Like knowing that they were going to lose one of the two, whoever they didn't pick, they were probably okay with it because they felt like this guy can play too. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see the coaches that navigate this, Andy. It's it's not easy, and like I said, you may have to make some decisions that hurt you in the short term. But guess what, Andy? If I'm a mom of a kid who's really interested in Baylor and you tell me you've got my kid's best interest at heart, I'm going to fight for your kid. Guess what? That might pay off down the line. Well, you, because you, I'm going to say, well, you hey, you, maybe you really did. on this very podcast about a month or two ago say Matt Campbell's going to be fine. He's going to kick ass. But the transfer portal is going to expose a lot of coaches. Yeah. 100%. And I think and I think the thing that, that when you when that conversation comes up is well, that means we have to we have to coddle kids, we can't coach Mm-mm. kids tough. No. Yeah. It, that's in recruiting. What kind of kids do you want? What what kind of people do you want in your program? If you bring a kid to your campus and then you realize the first time that you have to raise your voice at him, he's in the transfer portal, that's on you. You yeah. brought him to your campus. You need to know who these guys are and, and, and how I you think coach that's them. that's the advantage. I don't buy the coddling argument at all. I that yeah, that. and that's the advantage that Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia have had for a while over other programs. Clemson too. They had gotten it to a point where they were so talented that they almost had a self-selecting sample of recruits. Where if you didn't have that kind of attitude, you wouldn't even want to play there. So you wouldn't even pursue playing there. So they're yeah. getting guys who well, want to like, compete. It's like they would ask, I can't remember, I, I feel like, because ESPN basically lives at Alabama, and I feel like they would ask, I hear it every year, or maybe it was a few years ago, somebody asked Alabama players, you know, you, Nick Saban, you don't see a lot of joy in him. Is it fun playing here? And somebody said, winning's fun. <laughs> Jonathan Allen. <laughs> yes. Jonah Williams said and, it too. Yeah. And so is getting drafted in the first round. That's also fun, as we saw tonight, Andy, uh, oh, to bring ex- this pod it, full circle. Exactly. Winning exactly. championships and being first-round picks, that's that's really fun. Yeah. Uh, and it pays well, too. So It, it uh, does. It pays better than ever in college and in the pros. I don't now. know, David. Playing for one of those that wants to get into that club might pay pretty well, too, now. So. <laughs> you may be right. The, the you may que- be right. The I, question is... How do you handle your your salary, it, your quote unquote salary cap? It's not a sal- It's not a real salary cap here. It's how much money you actually have because it still doesn't grow on trees. Last I checked, and you still have to decide how you're going to portion it out. You just got. I can't remember out- if we. I can't remember if we talked about this on this pod, Andy. I, I can't remember if we did or not. But I think as the wall between collectives and schools becomes clearer, and how much you can interact or not inter or not. Uh, interact. I had a coach in the, in the SEC tell me that he feels like eventually we're going to see like a GM of collectives on a staff mm-hmm. pretty frequently that says, "Okay, well, we want to, we have this much money. We're going to divvy out." Well, this I, much, I think if you're a coach, you want that because the last thing you want as a college coach, where you're used to having total control, is an NFL head coach, NFL GM scenario 
where the head of the collective gets Is crossed with you <laughs> and maybe doesn't believe in you anymore. Because that's what everybody's yeah. everybody's happy now. It's all just started. So I know. Wait when, until, when you get coached on the hot seat, I, yeah, I don't know how that's going to look. Seat. And, that's, and, the, and the, that's, the guy from the collective's like, oh, I'm still going to be here next year. I don't know if you are, so we're going to go after yeah. these players whether you want them or not. Yeah. I, Andy... This is where it comes back to, ultimately, I'm glad I don't have to compete in college football and I can just write about it because (laughs) this is the toughest time to try and run a program in our lifetimes and it's the most interesting and the easiest time. Do you know who I have faith in to navigate this more than anyone else? Uh, The Athletic, Andy. No, well, that too. (laughs) Nick Saban. Yeah. He's telling high school coaches about a month ago, that he's re-energized by all this stuff. Like now he's got new puzzles to solve. <laughs> that would yeah. scare the hell out of me if I'm another coach in the SEC to hear him say that. It has to. It has to. I mean, it, you know, they've launched their collective. We'll see what that uh, eventually evolves into and and how that eventually plays out. But any, it's just, you know, I, we've talked about this. You know, we've texted about this. I've talked to people on our staff. You know, I'm getting ready to go on paternity leave, but I have about 150 story ideas that I want to. But there's just so and, many and, and things. And when baby oven so comes along, tentacles. you're going to be like, use all the leverage you have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I can give you one piece of advice, use exactly. all your leverage. And I, I just, there are just so many like offshoots of all this. And as we see it evolve and as the games start and some tensions with guys on camp, like, I, it's going to be fascinating, and I'm glad I don't have to coach or uh, be an administrator. I'm very glad that we are on this side of it. Um, yeah. At this time, it doesn't pay quite as well, but it still pays pretty well, and and uh, we'll see how it goes. I, I am very interested because what we're seeing in basketball at Miami, we're going to see in football. It's coming. And it's, it's going gonna, gonna, gonna to be crazy. Mm-hmm. That's But that's, that's the world we live in. Welcome to 2022. David Oven, thank you very much. Everybody enjoy the rest of the draft. Enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you on the